And uh, we will turn our attentions again to the Gospel of John. And we're in John chapter 5. John chapter 5. And I will be reading verses 28 through 29. John chapter 5, verses 28 through 29. Do not marvel at this. For the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear His voice and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life. And those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. Amen. Give me one second. Let me remove this. Don't worry, nothing's going to like fall down or. All right. Jesus is continuing his discussion with the Jews, the Jews who were persecuting him. This is who Jesus is directly talking to. He had healed a man who was lame for over 30 years, and he was uh, attacked because of this. And this entire discussion unfolds due to the healing of this man on the Sabbath. The Jews had this misconception about what you could do, what you couldn't do on the Sabbath. And Jesus doesn't necessarily address the issue of the Sabbath, but speaks of his own authority and why he can do the things that he does the way that he does them. And ultimately, is because he is God. That's what he's talking to them about. And here, now, he... He's speaking of two resurrections. Last week we saw the resurrection that is, and he was speaking about regeneration. When people hear the voice of the Son of God, when the gospel is preached, men, they come out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's beloved Son. They're raised into newness of life. That is the first resurrection Jesus was talking about here. And now he speaks of a second He speaks of a second resurrection. And listen to how he opens the discussion about this second resurrection. So we can say there is a resurrection that is how Jesus addressed it. Even now this is happening, he says. But there is a resurrection that is coming. And the way that he addresses it first, look at how he opens. This is a command. He says, To his hearers, do 
not marvel at this. Do not marvel at this. Don't be surprised. Really, it's just a way of saying don't disbelieve. The call of Jesus, even to these men who were hostile to him, who how it's, listen to how it says it here. In verse 16, they were persecuting Jesus and sought to kill him. That's in verse 16. And then in verse 18, therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. These are not people who are friendly to him. They are hostile to Jesus. And Jesus' command is, stop disbelieving. Believe in me. Believe the words that I am telling you because they are essential for life. They are essential for a right standing with God on the day of judgment. You know, that, that, this idea can seem so antiquarian. Like the word antiquarian, right? It it can seem so old, the idea that we must give heed to the words of the Son of God. Because we live in 2020, uh, yeah, 2020, I was going to say 2002. (laughs) We're we're living in 2020, right? So, you know, to, 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 to place our life and our values upon a message written in this old book, you know, the, the newest part of it is two, over 2,000 years old. And to base our life upon the, the truth uh, uh, of the scriptures, it almost seems foolish. But Jesus is saying to them, don't do that. And now speaking to Jews, right, who were anticipating the coming of the Messiah, Their entire identity focused really upon the person of Jesus Christ. And he's saying to them, believe me. Trust in what I'm about to say to you. And Christ speaks to us today in the same way. You know, uh, whether Donald Trump or Joe Biden or anybody else becomes the president of the United States of America is not a matter of life and death, of eternal life and death. It's really not a matter of eternal life and death. I'll temper it that way because of this. Because at this point, both parties, right? The so-called conservative party in America and the so-called uh, liberal progressive liberal party, they both support abortion on demand. So it is a matter of life and death. But not eternal in the sense that Jesus is talking about right now. The, these, are, these, are, these are weighty things. Right? This, this is more heavy and more important than anything that is going on in the world today. It's what Jesus is saying here. These words should be what centers your entire life. When you wake up in the morning, these are the kinds of words that you should hear. You should hear Jesus saying to you, Rick, do not disbelieve. Well, you shouldn't hear Rick, but whatever, you insert your name. (laughs) 
Insert your name, yeah. <laughs> Rick, you can use Rick, but uh, uh, do not disbelieve. Do not disbelieve what I am about to tell you. Do not disbelieve this. For the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice. A time is coming when every person who has ever died, and even those who are alive, they're going to hear the voice of the Son of God. Every person, even those who pierced him, it says in the book of Revelation, they will see the Son when he comes. They will hear his voice. Note this in verse 27 that we didn't get to discuss last week. The reason why Christ has this authority, he tells us in verse 27, he says, because he is the Son of Man. This is, this, this is why Jesus will command an, uh, the entire universe as his audience. Every, every person who has ever existed will hear his voice and they will pay attention. This is a small room, and sometimes I can't get, and I talk loud, and I can't get all of your attentions. But Jesus is saying everybody's going to pay attention. There, there will be a day when they will hear his voice, and every single, you think, uh, 4,000 years ago, right, somebody was, there, there was a fisherman on a boat in the, uh, off the coast of the Aegean Sea. Maybe it wasn't even called that then. And he fell over. His foot got caught in the ankle, and he sunk to the bottom. He's eaten by the fishes, and his bones have been there 4,000 years. And Jesus will descend from heaven and say, come forth, and that man will fly out of that water to hear the verdict that Jesus is going to give. Everybody. And it's because of who he is. Because he is the son of man. Who is the son of man? Well, in Daniel chapter 7, you get a small picture of who this son of man is. In Daniel chapter 7, you get a, a small glimpse and here, uh, so the vision of Daniel chapter 7 is with regards to kingdoms that will arise in this world. And then there will be this fi- uh, final kingdom. And th- this final kingdom will be ruled and governed by the Son of Man. He will cause every kingdom to bow their knee to Him. Listen to the way that that kingdom is described first, and then we'll get a picture of this Son of Man. Look at verse 26. Daniel 7, 26, and here's a picture of his kingdom. But the court shall be seated, 
and they shall take away his dominion to consume and destroy it forever. This final king, this enemy. Then the kingdom and dominion and greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people, the saints of the Most High. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominion shall serve and obey him. There will be an establishment of a theocratic kingdom upon the face of the earth, unlike any other. Every power will bow to this kingdom, and this kingdom will be given to the people of God. Now, this is the, here, here's the one who's going to rule that kingdom. Here's the one who will rule that kingdom. In verse 13. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. So he sees this one like a son of man, and he, this one is coming on the clouds of heaven. He's, uh, the, the, um, the way it's described is that he's entering into heaven. He's coming from somewhere. He wasn't in heaven. He's coming into heaven, and he's on clouds. And he comes to the, to the Father, to the Ancient of Days, who was just described in verses 9 and following. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. So he's not the Ancient of Days, but he's there in heaven, and he's coming too. He's approaching the Ancient of Days, and he's coming from somewhere on clouds. And when he enters heaven, look at what is bestowed upon him. What, what is it that is given to him? Then to him was given dominion, and glory, and a kingdom. These things are handed, they're placed in his hands. So the Son of Man, this one who enters heaven, he's on the clouds, this is pointing to his divinity. This divine one is given universal rule. This is one of the reasons why Jesus can command, why Jesus will command the entire universe to stand before him to hear the verdict, life or death. Because universal rule is in his hand. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples. Nations and languages should serve Him. That's every category of people. Nobody's left out here. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. It never ends. Which shall not pass away. And His kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. This is why Jesus can command this kind of authority, because of his divine nature and because of his universal rule. His divine nature and his universal rule. Now, you know, um, you're probably sitting here, you know, thinking, man, I can't wait for that day. Well, that, that day started uh, 2,000 years ago. 
This is not a future event. This is not some time in the future that we're waiting for, for Jesus to rule and to reign. That's, Daniel chapter 7 isn't happening after the rapture. In Matthew chapter 28, listen to what Jesus says. This is after his resurrection. So, so here's the point, right? Why, why, why am I doing theology like this? Because you have to believe the, what Jesus is saying. You have to believe, you have to pay attention to this truth that one day Jesus will call you. And it could be 4,000 years from now. You, you could have been rotting in the ground for 4,000 years. Jesus will call and you will rise and stand before him. This universal authority has been given to him, and even now. This is not something that you can put off and say, I'm, I'll, I'll serve Jesus later. You know, I've got to go bury my father. You know, I, I, I got some oxen I've got to take care of. Or, no. Uh, this is the message that faithful pastors should be preaching to their people. They shouldn't be giving you 10 steps for a healthier this, that, or the third, or none of that. Look at Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. And the background is Daniel, right? All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. There's, there's, there's no place on this planet where people can say, you can't preach the gospel here. You understand that, right? So if we're open air preaching, well, you, you, uh, we, we uh, lo- love and respect the police. So if a, if a police officer says, look, um, I keep it down or something like that, right? Well, well, we'll keep it down. But they can't say you can't do this. There's a higher authority. We don't answer. Ultimately, when it comes to the Great Commission, we don't answer to the local state National, the UN, you know, the Illuminati, right? We don't, we don't, we don't bow the knee to, uh, to, to anyone. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, every people, tribe, tongue, and nation baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is the message that Christ... So, this is a small room. There's a big echo, right? If you, you know, amen, amen. If maybe you didn't hear Scripture verse, okay. But don't have an extended discussion while I'm preaching. It, it, it's, it bothers people, and it's hard to hear. So uh, thank you. So uh, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him, he, he, and he's going to call a universal audience. And this has to do with him being raised from the dead. It has to do with his divine mission. He was sent into the world to... Suffer, 
He was sent into the world to die that he might be raised incorruptible, the God-man, and stand at the end of the ages to judge the living and the dead. This is who Jesus is. So in the book of Acts, after he finishes instructing his disciples in Acts chapter 1, how is Jesus taken up into heaven? Clouds. He descends, he, he enters into heaven seated, standing on clouds. And he enters into the very presence of his heavenly father. And the kingdom is given to him then and there. So in Acts chapter 1, verse 9. Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And these men say, the angels say to them, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? Because Jesus entered into heaven on clouds. Why are you standing there looking up? The same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. The angels are saying the way you saw him go is the way he's going to come back. And when, he's come ba- when he comes back, he's going to come back to judge the living and the dead. That is what he is going to come to do. He's going to command Men and women to come out, children to come out of the grave. And they will stand before him. See, this, this has to do with his divine nature and his divine mission. Therefore, Jesus commands divine worship. The, the kind of reverence that... Um, if, if John chapter 5 fell out of heaven, right, and, and it was the only portion of Scripture we had, we, we could base our entire life on that statement, do not disbelieve. And it would draw from us, it ought to draw from us worship of Christ. So he's saying, you should have so much reverence for the words I speak. He's, uh, let's put the Pharisees there. Pharisees, you should have so much reverence for the words that I'm speaking to you, and you should hold them with such great confidence that you abandon everything you believe about your religion. Everything you believe about the God, about the God, quote-unquote, that you think you're worshiping, you ought to abandon it all. The Jews he was speaking to, of course, were monotheists. They had the Old Testament scriptures, but they had perverted the religion. Therefore, Jesus condemned them. And in Revelation chapter 5, this picture of divine worship is is, uh, set before us. So here's the Lamb. In Revelation uh, Revelation chapter 4, You have this magnificent picture of the throne room of heaven. And that throne room is where God is sitting. Revelation chapters 4 and 5 are really a New Testament exposition of Daniel chapter 7. Where you have the Ancient of Days seated on his throne. And all of this image that portrays his justice, power, and authority. 
And then instead of seeing a son of man, you get another image. You don't get the son of man immediately. Look at what you get in Revelation chapter 5. In Revelation chapter 5, verse 4. So I wept much, John is weeping, because no one was found worthy to open and to read the scroll or to look at it. The scroll executes the judgments of God upon this world. This is what Jesus is talking about in John. He is going to execute the judgment of God upon the world. But one of the elders said to me, Don't weep. Stop crying, John. Look, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loosen its seven seals. There's someone here that is able to do it. He can accomplish this task. Universal dominion and rule can be given to him. The Davidic covenant is fulfilled now. This kingdom that the Jewish people have been anticipating since the time of David, the ruler of that kingdom has come. He's a king. And he is here. And I looked. And behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a gigantic lion. No. What does he see? He sees a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns, which represent his authority and his power, and seven eyes, his omniscience, which are the seven spirits of God. And if we, you were paying attention to Zechariah when we did the exposition, this, these eyes of God, they go around the entire world and they report to God which are the seven spirits of God, which are sent out into all the earth. Then he came and took the scroll out of the hand of him who sat on the throne. This is exactly what the, the Son of Man does in the book of Daniel. He comes to the Ancient of Days. And now Christ, after having uh, uh, been born in the flesh, died upon the cross and ascended into heaven in clouds. He enters into the presence of his Father and he is given authority to judge. Now, when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, you see how now... uh, All of the creatures in heaven worship this divine son. He has a divine nature. He came to earth on a divine mission. He accomplished that divine mission. And now he receives worship that only a divine being can receive. God can receive. Divine worship is given to him by the the creatures in heaven. When Jesus was talking to his glory was veiled. But there were instances when his glory shined through. So the, the, the sea is really tumultuous and his disciples are sitting on the boat and uh, they see him walking on the sea. And he hops in the boat and it stops storming. And Peter says to him, depart from me for I am a sinful man. 
just these glimpses of his glory. He's on the Mount of Transfiguration, and his clothes is so white that not even the, 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 the best launder could, could clean it. I remember, uh, I, took a, I think I've said this here before, but I'll say it again, this story. Went to Haiti on a missions trip, right? We basically lived in a, outside, in a, you know, uh, what's it called? Not, not a hut. Uh, it was a walled, it was a little walled uh, church, sort of, is what we lived in, you know? And we stayed there, it was two weeks, just 15 days, something like that. We were there for 15 days. And, you know, you get dirty, right? There's, 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 we're, we were outside the whole time. And the ladies there had offered to wash our clothes, right? There were some women that would come during the day, and they would do a variety of work. They would cook and different things, and the pastor there would feed them, you know, pay them a little bit, but provide them food, eggs, things like that, that he grew on this little plot of land that he had. So they offered to wash our clothes. We were preaching and teaching the entire time. They were doing evangelism and various other things. So as a favor, they said, hey, can we wash your clothes? You know, our clothes was filthy, right? There's no air conditioning. There's no, like, showers like we have here. And they were pretty rough. So we finally yielded and said, do it. <laughs> we got back our clothes. They looked brand new. I don't know what they washed it, but, and they washed it by hand. I saw them. They were outside, you know, on a, what's the thing called? A washboard, you know? And they're ringing, they, they were ringing out jeans, you know? One lady's on the other side, and they're getting, it was dry by hand. <laughs> Just, the, so the clothes, it, it looked like it had gone to the dry cleaners, right? Uh, beautiful white. The, the, the glory of Christ on the Mount of Transfiguration was greater than the Haitian handmaidens. <laughs> it was radiant and beautiful. And Peter sees it, and Peter says, Lord, it's good for us to be here. So there were those instances where the glory of Christ just, it, shone, it shone through, and, and the, the disciples saw it. His glory was veiled. Yet while he's talking to the Pharisees, speaking the way that he is, what he was, because of their deadness, because of their hard-heartedness and their blindness, what he was trying to draw out of them, they would not give. And it was worship. When he was talking to them this way, and he says to them, um, I have been working and the Father has been working. And I just raised this lame man. I have been working and the Father has been working. The Pharisees should have said, oh, he must be God. That's what they should have thought. And then they should have worshipped him. After he accomplishes his work, he goes into heaven. And what do the angels, these, these angelic beings, what do they do? They worship. Verse 9. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and you redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nations and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. 
Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing." and every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. You see how the one who's seated on the throne, the Ancient of Days, the Father and the Son together are worshipped by all creation because he is the divine Son. He has a divine nature. He was on a divine mission. He receives divine worship. Worship that only a divine being can have. And this is the truth that he's been communicating to the, to the Jewish leaders in all of John chapter 5. He's saying to them, I do the things that I do in agreement and in accord with the will of the Father because I am God. Therefore, on the day of judgment, I will speak and everyone will hear and stand before me. There will not be one person who is going to be able to escape that day. There's, there's, like, there's no cheat code. Right? There's no way to work around it. There, there, there's no um, other way to enter heaven. This truth, this sense of justice, well, uh, before I go there, I just want to confirm this to you. Look at what happens. John is... In Revelation chapter 19, he's taken up, you know, by, by just the glorious things that he sees. And in verse 10 of chapter 19, he, he falls at the feet of this angel to worship him. And the angel says to him, see that you don't do that. I am your fellow servant and, your, and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus, of Christians. I serve Christians, is what the angel says. Worship God. That's who you ought to worship. Not me, an angel. It happens a second time that John doesn't learn his lesson. And in chapter 22, John does it again in verse 9. And the angel says to him again, See that you do not do that. For I am your fellow servant, and of your brethren the prophets, and those who keep the word of this book worship God. And in the book that commends only worship to God, Jesus receives worship with God because he's God. He is the divine son. This sense, so here, of course, Jesus commands that the, the Jewish leaders believe him. And he then addresses this issue of judgment. He says a time is coming. This is future. There will be a resurrection that results in life and a resurrection that resolves in judgment, in, in condemnation. That is what is going to happen. 
Some people will enter eternal life, and some people will enter eternal judgment. There's no, not annihilationism. There's no, no such thing as soul sleep. There will be an entrance into the torments of hell forever for some. This is exactly what Jesus is talking about. And now you, you may, um, everybody knows there's going to be a judgment day because everybody has a sense of justice. We know it. Every person knows. Every person knows that there's going to be a day of reckoning when everyone will have to give an account for the good that they've done in the body and for the bad that they've done in the body. Every person knows. We have a sense of justice. There's no way to avoid it. You see it happening even on a national level. You know, when, when, uh, let's say, a criminal who was going to be tried for some crimes dies and he doesn't see justice, what happens? Does, do, do people say, well, at least he died. He can't do that anymore. Some might say that. You might hear that. But generally what you get is a, this national consensus where people say, man, he should, you know, they should have tried him sooner. That's the sense of justice. And you see, the reason why there is this judgment coming is because man was created in the image of God to serve God. And he rebelled against God. And now man lives in sin. And you can conceptualize sin, right? People have all of these ways to define or describe sin. But very, very basically, it's when you don't conform, when you don't live the way God calls you to live. That's what sin is. When you live however you want to live, as opposed to the way that God calls you to live. And here is where the sinfulness of that, that's where the sinfulness of man consists, is in his fallenness, in his uh, resistance towards conformity to the will of God. He refuses to. And. Partly, it's because man is born guilty because he's fallen in Adam. He may not be conscious of his guilt, but every person has this this feeling, this sense of guilt, and it comes from their first father, Adam. And they are not inherently righteous. You've heard this uh, this, uh, illustration dozens of times, but do you have to teach your kids how to tell the truth or to lie. <laughs> That's right. You got to teach them how to tell the truth because they'll tend to lie to you. Why? Well, they've fallen. We all know this. And, you know, if you had to teach your kids how to lie, you know, it might be an angel that God gave you or something. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> But man's nature is not only, he's not only born this way, but he's, he's corrupt in his nature, in his dispositions. Right? He is not able, as, and as Eric said, he's unable and unwilling to do what God tells him to do. And even Christians struggle with this. There's a battle in the Christian himself. Romans 7 describes this. this is, man has a holy inclination to 
disregard God. This is the reason for judgment. Of course, God's justice lies behind all of this. And therefore, man is born in this miserable condition. If you look out into the world, right? And here, you know, the, one of the good things about social media, let's say, or being connected the way that we are is that you can, you know, uh, we do Hebrew with uh, our Hebrew instructor is in Texas and uh, two guys, one guy is in, in Europe and the other guy is in the Netherlands, right? So it's amazing that you could do something like that. You could connect instantly to everyone, but we know of every sinful and wicked thing that is going on everywhere in the world. And it could lead to utter despair. The reason why those things are the way that they are is because of sin. The sinfulness of man. And there is a coming day of judgment. The punishment will come. Punishment comes in this world. It comes inwardly. So that some people are blind. There's a blindness of the mind where they cannot receive the truth of God. They're unwilling, unable to receive anything the Scripture says. There's this reprobate sense where, where, where people identify as, as unbelievers and they stand opposed to the Scriptures. You know... Um, People are, they're burning the flag publicly, but the same people are burning Bibles. And what they're trying to do is the impossible. They're, they're trying to live outside of God's authority. And they don't understand that as they do that, God gives them over to that reprobate mind. They have, uh, men live with strong delusions. That's how they live. They live their entire life thinking that one day they won't stand before the God of heaven. And they try to create a utopia here and now. Right? We're going to socialize everything. Right? And all your, your, your teeth, you'll never have a cavity. And they're always, there's always going to be chocolate milk and strawberry ice cream. <laughs> They're, they're given over to these delusions where man thinks that he can create the perfect world. But you know what happens when they do that? World War I, World War II, and uh, all of the other atrocities that are committed in this world for the sake of trying to unify man and, and bring, quote-unquote, peace. It won't happen. Man's heart is too hard. His conscience torments him. He is... He, 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 he lives in a constant state of knowing that he is not right with somebody and that something is wrong. Um, I, I was uh, talking to Keith and Logan uh, a few weeks ago, and in the book 1984, um, there's this little part in the book where, who's the main guy in 1984? What's his name? Winston. Right, Winston? Winston. Winston is, he's shuffling into uh, the cafeteria to go eat, and he describes this hallway. It's dirty and dingy, and his clothes is dirty and dingy, and he sits down, and he's eating this food, and the food is dirty and dingy. Everything is dirty and dingy, disgusting, you know? 
It's dark. It's depressing the way that Orwell describes everything that's happening. And then there's this like monologue in the guy's mind and uh, Winston's mind. And he's, you know, this is not verbatim, but he basically says, you know, I do this every day and I've been doing this ever since I've been alive. And all I can remember is this. This dirty, dingy, nasty, disgusting, everything, right? The, the coffee is stale. The cigarettes are stale, right? It, it's always been this way. Yet, I know that it's not right. There's something wrong with everything being like this. The most unconverted person in this world knows that. They know that there is something wrong. But they turn everything, but they destroy everything because they are unwilling to do what Jesus says to the Pharisees here. Stop disbelieving. They are unwilling to believe. Yet the way that Jesus brings this to the Pharisees is the way that we need to communicate these things to men and women today. You live under a curse. You have vile affections. And apart from turning to the Son of God, you will be a slave to sin. And then in eternity, you will be raised to judgment. You will be raised to destruction. And no one can pay this debt themselves. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus isn't saying to the Pharisees, you've got to make yourself righteous. The man who tries to make himself righteous increases his guilt every single day. There is only one way to be right with God. There is no creature on earth who can pay this debt for us. So then we need a mediator. We need one who is truly human and truly righteous, yet more powerful than all creatures. We need one who is truly God and truly man. And that is who Jesus was presenting to the religious leaders. And that is the same one who speaks to you today from his word. And he says to you exactly what he says to the Jewish leaders. He says, do not marvel. Don't disbelieve. Believe what I am telling you. These words that I speak to you, they are life. So I will call you this morning. If you do not believe in the Son of God, believe in Him. And if you believe, continue to hope in Him. Let's pray and then we'll stand and sing. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. And we thank You for Your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Mediator the one true mediator between God and men who will come one day to judge the living and the dead. We confess your universal authority and your sovereign power, and we ask you today, Lord Jesus, to help us, to help us to believe, Lord, help our unbelief. And may we take up this entire day, Lord, in uh, giving thanks to you, the judge of the living and the dead. In his name we pray, amen. Uh, please stand and sing.